In today's show, we're looking back at the 2020-2021 season for the New York Knickerbockers. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Bebel and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 grams of carbs and only 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. We're here today to talk about the New York Knicks and their 2020-2021 season. But just a couple of news things now. A lot of the shows that you've been listening to, I pre-recorded those a week or so ago. But um, today, I'm back live recording this on the day that you're listening to it or the day that's released. Anyway, and we did get a couple of coach uh, decisions. So just quickly going to touch on that. Now, I'll do more on that when we know who the replacement coaches are. But Scott Brooks is out in Washington. I think that's nothing but a positive. We know that I've had issues with his rotation for many, many years. And that is going to change the fortunes of players like you know, Tom Bryant and Dan Gaffords in particular. And what happens with Westbrook and Beal still remains to be seen on that squad. But that, that's that's big, I think, for the Wizards. And then secondly, Stan Van Gundy out in New Orleans. He was only there for one year. On the surface, it seems weird to fire a guy after one season. I did not like the hiring when it occurred. I didn't really think that he brought much to the table during the season. So again, while it seems weird to fire a guy after one year, and it shows maybe some poor decision-making to hire that guy in the first place, if you bring him in, you go, oh, yeah, shit, I'm not sure this is right for us. Like, why persist? If the owners are willing to pay him out, like, why would you just hold him around for two to three years just because it looks weird? Again, it does make you look dumb for hiring him in the first place. I get that completely. But if he is not the guy for that position... There's literally no point in holding on. And then you're better off getting you know that extra year of development ahead of whoever the next guy is. Um, and, and I think it's the right move for them. I think it would have been the right move to get someone different last time. We'll see who they actually hire. But you know, when we do get, you know, there's six openings. And when we do get these hi- coaches hired, I'll do uh, shows on those, those guys in particular and talk about what we can expect there. But for now, we've just got the news that those players are out. Let's talk New York Knickerbockers now. Let's get in. Actually, you know what? Let's not talk New York Knickerbockers right now because we might as well do this now. It's time for me to talk about the Michelob Ultra moment. The Ultra moment. And it's and it's tough to pick the Ultra moment for this New York Knicks team because, you know, this is a team that obviously came in with low expectations. But their Ultra moment of the year, what is it? Is it Tom Thibodeau winning Coach of the Year? Is it Julius Randle winning Most Improved Player of the Year? Is it Julius Randle making All-NBA team? Is it something that hasn't happened yet, but Emmanuel quickly making one of the all-rookie teams, he definitely will. Um, or is it the fact that they got into the playoffs as the four seed? I think the ultra moment of the year is just overall the New York Knicks improvement, and that is by them making the playoffs, winning a home playoff game, now losing, which is something that I did expect in that first round, but getting there is a huge um, achievement in itself. So that's your ultra moment, and I am 100% positive that Knicks fans got plenty of joy out of that. 
the happiness you get from seeing your team being an absolute laughing stock, which they were, to being a team that was legitimately good for the really the entire season is a huge, huge part of being a basketball fan. And that's what the enjoyment brings us. And it's only worth it if you enjoy it. With Michelob Ultra, only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It is the whole game. The Michelob Ultra moment of the year for the New York Knicks is making the playoffs for the first time in what feels like forever. Let's talk about those New York Knicks now, who, of course, they would uh, they would hope that they can uh, do a little bit more in the playoffs next season. But our road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy those games a little bit more this season. All right, New York Knicks. What did they do this year? Uh, they did a lot. They were really good. They, um, if my screen would update, they were 41 and 31, which again, absolutely no chance of me being able to predict that they'd be that good. I am not the biggest Tom Thibodeau fan, as you're all well aware. But, you know, I haven't gone back and listened to my podcast when he was hired of what I said necessarily. But from memory, what I said was, he is a clear upgrade over David Fisdale and Mike Miller. And he will lead to more uh, production in the short term. I still didn't think they'd be this good. I didn't even think they'd make the playoffs, maybe the play-in. But he did a remarkable job. I didn't have him as my coach of the year, but I don't think there's any problem with him being voted coach of the year. There's no worries of that. But my concerns with Thibodeau still remain the same. Front office friction, is that going to develop? Horrendous rotation decisions. And the fact that you start Alfred Payton every single game until you're down, what, 3-1 or 2-1 in the playoffs, and you go, no, you know what? This guy shouldn't be our starter. And, and I hate when coaches do this, is they start a guy, they're persistent with it, they're stubborn with it, ludicrously stubborn with it. And then when they eventually, 75 games later, decide we probably shouldn't start him. Not only do they not start him, they just don't play him at all. And that is your indication. And we see that time and time again, that you should never have been starting him in the first place. So you know, that sort of frustration, the insane minutes that these guys play, Julius Randle led the league in minutes. There's no need for him to play as much as he did. There's absolutely no need. And, and it's not about, oh, they needed him to carry. They did. But when you're up 20 with four minutes left, he doesn't need to be in there getting an extra four minutes on. And that's something that we see can add up over time. Didn't happen this year. Did he wear down over the second half of the year when he was shooting 42% from the field? Maybe. I don't know. Did he wear down because he couldn't do shit in the playoffs? Maybe. Does he get hurt next year, the year after? Does it happen to Barrett? Like, who knows? But to me, it's not a winning formula. And to that, what that screams to me is that Thibodeau doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to what uh, analytics or injury or medical people tell him. Or if, the, if he is listening to them, then they're the wrong people in the job. And that's my concern with Thibodeau, is that you might get a, a short-term bump, which he obviously got, but what, what happens after that? Is there any long-term planning with it? They were 23rd on offense, which is pretty poor. Third on defense. A remarkable achievement for this team to be as good on defense. And that, again, all credit goes to Thibodeau. Fantastic stuff. 30th in pace. That's not a surprise for Thibodeau. He is uh, always an extremely slow coach in terms of running the pace. And that's never great for our fantasy value. But they've got some interesting draft picks coming up. 19, 21, 32, and 58. Not that they're going to get great players there. And not that those guys are going to play even sort of sizable rotation roles, most likely, for Thibodeau next season. But they are some picks that if they make the right choices, they can be pretty interesting. Not, not 58, of course, but 19, 21, and number 32. Um, <clears throat> free agency is a lot of decisions that need to be made with this Knicks team. Nerland Noel, Derek Rose, Reggie Bullock, Alf, Alfred Payton, and Alec Burks. They're all unrestricted free agents, and they were all either starters or key rotation pieces. And this doesn't even include Frank Nilakina, who's a restricted free agent. Not that they're going to make any sort of big deal with him. And Taj Gibson, also an unrestricted free agent. So you're talking about six rotation players 
who are out of contract, who are unrestricted, those five plus Taj, and then Frank is a restricted guy. Now, that gives them a lot of cap space, but can they bring those right players in in free agency? What happens if they lose Noel, Rose, Bullock, Burks? Again, Peyton, who gives a shit? Um, massive parts of what they're able to do. So a pretty interesting offseason they have to make decisions on for a lot of these players that were key parts in what they were able to do this season. Let's talk about Julius Randle now. He was remarkably good. 71 games played, an astonishing 37 and a half minutes. It's, it's, it's ludicrous that he played that much. There is no two ways about that. He was really, really good though. 24, 10, and 6. Now, I don't believe that he should have made All-NBA second team because you cannot, with a straight face, argue to me that Julius Randle was one of the best four forwards in the NBA this season. You can say that he deserved most improved player because it's 100% true. I, I think he was a borderline All-Star. I probably wouldn't have had him in there, but I don't actually too have too many issues with that. But to say he's one of the best forwards in the entire NBA is absolutely laughable. It is laughable. And this is not to take anything away from what he did because he was great. 24, 10, and, and uh, 6 is, are they great numbers. 0.9 steals, 0.3 blocks. He's never going to bring those numbers. And he, he had some real issues with efficiency, and that dropped off as the season went on. He shot 44.4 for the course of the year. But over the last three months of the year, 41% from the field, it was a massive negative. Now, he was able to hit 84% from the line over that time, 81 for the year. And that's a big change considering he's never been over 73 in his career. So while we can attribute it, uh, some of it to Tom Thibodeau, I, I don't know that we could look at this and go, well, of course, Tibbs is coming in. So Randall's now going to go from a 28% three-point shooter to a 41% guy. You can't predict that. And he's going to jump his uh, free throws up by eight percentage points. That's just the sort of improvement that you just can't expect or can't bank on or can't predict. And while the 56 true shooting for Randall is great, again, under 54, 53 and a half for the second half of the year is actually quite hurtful in damaging in terms of the efficiency numbers that he had there. They're not good. Advanced numbers were pretty strong. EPM plus 3.1 is great. His defensive numbers improved significantly, even though he is a horrendous rim protector and defensive playmaker. His overall defensive numbers are right. Now that's scheme some of that. I don't really believe that he is a great defender. He is an average to good defender, but that's it. Um, really good shooting numbers. The usage was sky high, 29%, highest number of his career. Again, I just still have a lot of concerns with what that next step is for him and, and for this team, to be honest. You know, can can he get those numbers up? He still took, um, it still was so much self-created from him and that burden really wore him down as the season went on. He took a lot of mid-range attempts, 8.6 mid-rangers per 75. His pre previous career high was 5.5. So a lot of mid-range attempts. And he hit those at 42%. So look, that's sort of, sort of going to be removed out of the diet as well. So while he was quite good, and he was, he was really good. Um, he had 2.5 on Raptor, which was third best on the team. LeBron, he did lead the team at 1.12. But to me, he's not in that elite tier. I wouldn't even talked about where he ranked fantasy-wise. 28th in category leagues. Uh, 16th in points leagues with 45 points. He is a better points league guy because he doesn't generate steals and blocks. And he has that subpar uh, field goal percentage. And they hurt in category leagues. Um, where he's drafted next year is going to be really interesting. Thibodeau is not going to ease up on the minutes. Would I reach into the second round for him? Probably not. I think because the risk of injury is so much higher for him that because if he doesn't play those minutes, um, then that value just isn't there. And that that's the concern there. Good rebounding, poor field goals. Uh, I, I worry if that load is thrust onto him again, Giggity. that maybe 46 even from the field is not achievable. And he, he goes as a 44% guy for most of the season. That's a lot on Julius Randle, but he's by far the most interesting player on this team. The next 
guy, the next highest ranked category league player was actually Nerlens Noel. He only played 64 games, 24.2 minutes. Some of those were behind Mitchell Robinson. Some of those were starting. He's not as good of a points player, 23 points per game, but 90th in category leagues, 125 ADP. He was a guy that in the preseason, he was the starter. I went, oh shit, let's draft Nerlens Noel with our last pick. And then he sat out the last two preseason games with a knee injury and then somehow lost his spot. That That is why I was taking Noel at the end of drafts. Like, he's going to start for Tom Thibodeau. And that means maybe 28 minutes a night. And Noel at 28 minutes a night is a guaranteed top 100 player. And then, of course, he didn't start. Just a weird switch up. And then was the backup. And then, of course, Mitchell Robinson went down and Noel in only 24 minutes was a top 100 player. So if he's ever in a position where he's a starter and he's playing 24 minutes a night, he's a guaranteed must-draft player. So if you did take that flyer on him, even though it was iffy to start the year, in the end it worked out. But you would have dropped him when he was playing like 19 minutes a night behind Mitch Robinson. His value comes in blocks. It comes in steals. 2.2 blocks, 1.1 steals. Only five points, but 61 from the field, 71 from the line, six rebounds. But it is highly concentrated in those two categories there. For Nerland's Noel. Let's talk about the guy who was the starter. And Mitch Robinson says, I'll take it from here. Um... Robinson's a guy that always seems to get overdrafted, 48 ADP. He ended up as a 99th ranked player in 28 minutes, 26 fantasy points. He only played 31 games before that broken foot ended his year. They're pretty disappointing. Mainly he was disappointing. I didn't talk about Nerland's um, advanced numbers, actually, which I probably should have. Should I go back? Yeah, let's just quickly talk about that. Because he had some really strong defensive advanced numbers, but overall the offensive stuff was, was pretty poor from Noel. But those block numbers and steal numbers, extraordinarily high. Um, Raptor with his defensive stuff was was really good. Um, he just holds you back so much offensively, and I think that does hurt him in those overall advanced metrics. Now, let's talk about Mitchell Robinson. Again, we didn't know that he was going to start. That 48 ADP was pretty ridiculous, I think. Um, but what happened to him is the per-minute numbers dropped considerably, and you can't you know, really predict for that either. He was a 4.3 blocks per 36 guy as a rookie, went down to 3 per 36 as a second-year guy, and went down to 1.9. Now, as the minutes go up and the fouls come down, which, again, that they, they did do from 5.7 to 4.9 to 3.6 fouls per 36, so really big reduction, you expect the blocks to drop. You don't expect them to drop by 30-plus percent. They went from 3 to 1.9. Like, that is a huge, huge drop. His block percentage went from 8% to not a 5.4%. Now, 8% is 99th percentile shot blocker. 5.4 is a 94th percentile shot blocker. But from a fantasy perspective, dropping that much is a real issue. And that takes away all of his value, really. Now, he still was pretty good from the field, 65%. But he was at 74 last year. So a career worse from the field. A career worse from the line, 49%. The 1.2 steals are nice. The eight boards are nice. Eight points are okay. But yeah, what do we look at with him? It's just going to come down to... If he plays 28 a night, he will be a draftable guy, but I don't think you reach for him inside the top 100. You hope that Mitchell Robinson can get 28 minutes a night. The block rate, because the block rate goes back up and we're getting 2.6 per 36, then he's a top 50 player. But you never draft him there because of the Noel factor, the Thibodeau factor, the Robinson factor. All of those things are an issue. Offensively, he still has struggles and his usage, which has been a bugbear of mine for a long time, went down like 11%. That's pretty bad. I think he can do more offensively. They can involve him more in pick and rolls and in lobs. They don't seem to do that that much. So he's really, really low usage. So the field goal percentage can't have as large of an impact. But he did undeniably drop off this season. And where he goes from here is still still a question that remains to be answered. Now, Robinson is, what, 23? He's four years younger than Noel. So I, there's obviously plenty of room for him to improve. And if you're talking about him and Noel in a, in a dynasty, it's, it's obviously Robinson. 
But this is a bit of a make or break year in terms of what the career trajectory is, I believe, for Mitch Robinson. Um, yeah, got those extra minutes and then broke the foot and Noel played well. And what happens now is still uh, a bit up in the air. I'll tell you what's not up in the air, though, and that is where you should buy parts for your car because it's obviously rockauto.com. Why would you go to a local repair store, a local chain auto store to get a part for your car when you know that the bloke's there? They're either going to give you the runaround and take forever to order the part. It's going to take you forever to see that guy for a start. And then they're not going to have the part in stock. And then for all that trouble, they're going to charge you more money. Oh. Why are you pulling me? I'm right. Oh, I am right. I am right. So go to rockauto.com. It is a trusted family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And best of all, the price at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low. They are the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice as much for the same parts? When you get to rockauto.com and make your purchases, in their How Did You Hear About Us box, write Locked On so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA playoffs, we are really cracking in at the moment, so you can track all of that action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and all of your UFC, MMA action. Before that next tip, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the championship. Head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today using the promo code Locked On to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. Okie dokie. Next guy, Derek Rose. Really impressive season from Rose, who's really starting to find over the last two years, has sort of found his role as that sixth man player. Um, yeah, he improved efficiency a lot. He's still got all of the issues in terms of fantasy game and the concerns with his overall game that he's had in the past, but he focuses on doing, and this is something I, I've talked about a lot, is you know, work out what you're good at, work out what you're not good at, and do those good things that you're good at really well. And that's what Derek Rose is doing at the moment. His mid-range shooting has been upper class for the last three years. 45, 46, and 47% mid-range is fantastic. His numbers at the rim did fall off, I guess predictably, because they were pretty high at 61 last year. But somehow he was able to hit 39% of his threes. He doesn't take very many of them, but up to 40 or almost 40% for the year. That's uh, obviously an impressive uh, number for Rose. He played 50 games at 26 minutes, averaged 26 fantasy points. He was 119th in category leagues. He hits his free throws at a high rate, but he gets really no steals, hits no threes. He's a terrible rebounder. His assists are low, and his scoring is, is pretty good, but it's still not elite from a fantasy perspective. So I don't think we look at him as a draftable guy. He had an ADP of 124. He returned value at 119, and that's totally fine. But when I look at Derek Rose, do I look at those numbers and go, well, he's definitely going to improve next year. So if he's available at 120, I'll take him again because there's no upside in that. He's absolutely fine to have, to stream in, to hold, and to use. But yeah, he's going to be 33 next season. Do those numbers improve from there? Those 26 minutes a night improve? Probably not. But I thought yeah, he was quite good. The last three months, he actually was almost a top 100 guy because he got to 29 minutes a night. Again, through really good shooting from the field, from the line. 
some solid scoring, but your know, lack of steals, blocks, assists, rebounds, and threes is what does hurt Derek Rose from a fantasy perspective. Overall, his EPM was only a, uh, 0.4. That's not a great number, but Raptor loved him. Second best on the team, plus 3.3. And I do understand that because he was super important to this team. LeBron was also pretty positive. I thought he defended at a really high level as well, Derek Rose. Um, one of his best seasons in recent memory. Really has been able to work his way into a you know, really strong sixth man role. I had him in my top three, I think, for sixth man of the year. I don't know if I had him second or third, but he has been uh, he has been remarkably good in that role. I don't think the Knicks should be prioritizing bringing him back to be the starting point guard, um, but who knows who the hell their starting point guard is next year. Maybe it is Emmanuel quickly. You'll notice I'm going in... Uh, in order of best category league player here. So we had Rose, Randall, Noel, Robinson. I'm down to the fifth Knicks player. And that's when we get to Rowan Barrett Jr., who, despite the improvements this year, he played 72 games, 35 minutes a night. He's still not a very good category league player. <clears throat> in points leagues, he's much better. 80th ranked player with 30 points. Categories, 141st, despite an ADP of 123. Now, is that the be-all and end-all of RJ Barrett's game? No, of course not. Now, he did take big steps forward this season. He played five extra minutes. His true shooting went from 48 to 53. That's a, that's a big step forward. But 53 is still really bad. It is not a good number at all. It is 29th percentile in the NBA. Like, that is a really poor number. He shot 40% on his threes. Really big improvement there. Still doesn't take a huge amount, but that's great to hit 40% of them. Like, that, we love that improvement from him. But on two-pointers... 46% doesn't cut it. Like That's a bad number. Free throws, they improved a huge amount from 61 to 75. That is a gigantic improvement. They are still bad. Now, I do think that he can maybe be a 78, 79 guy next year and take away that being a negative category for him. But much like Julius Randle and Derek Rose, he just generates no defensive stats. 0.7 steals and 0.3 blocks are really bad. Like That is very, very bottom. That's the bottom quartile in the NBA of where you need to be. Six rebounds, three assists, look, they're totally average numbers. 1.73, a totally average number. 17 points, a totally average number. This is why he's not a good category league player. His best category was points at 17.4, and that generated a Z score of 0.21, barely above average. Everything else was a negative below average category, apart from rebounds, where he was bang on the average number in a fantasy league, 5.4. So while he did make some significant improvements, yeah, Raptor had him again. I had him as an average player. Like he's very average for fantasy in right across the categories. Raptor, he was a zero, like just flat on zero. EPM plus 0 0.1. Um, LeBron, negative 0.76. He's still got a long way to go. Now he's young. He's 21. He just turned 21. There is improvement to come. The improvement is going to come from um, efficiency, Though that free throws need to get to 80, and I do think next year that is a real possibility. The two-pointers need to get to 52-53, and that takes his field goals to 47-48. The usage needs to go from 23 to 27. He can be a 20-point scorer with six rebounds, four assists. I think he can do that. The steals, the blocks, three-point volume, I'm not sure it gets there, but I do think that he is going to be a clear draftable player next year in points leagues, in category, in category leagues as well but mainly for his points. And there is hope for those other things to come up. So while I do hate on our, I just hate, I say hate in big, gigantic inverted commas, because anytime I say anything critical about someone that people love, I'm a hater when I'm just saying exactly you know, what he did, where you know, his defensive numbers are bad. His um, shooting numbers are bad, even though they improved from horrendous to bad. 
This is not to say that he can't improve because he did improve a lot this year and he can continue to improve. Will he ever be a top 20 player? I would almost say no chance. Top 50? I think there's I think there is a chance of that, but I'd bank on him being you know, a a consistent top 90, top 80 guy. Best case scenario for Barrett. I just can't see every, all of those things coming together at once consistently to be that top 40, top 50 player. Even though, again, he did take big strides forward. Let's talk Alec Burks, who was another guy like Mitchell Robinson. I thought, hey, he's a nice sleeper. They started him early in the preseason. They had a distinct lack of shooting on this team. And I thought he can fit what they need to do. Now, COVID and injuries did hurt him. He played 49 games, 26 minutes a night. He was 159th in category leagues, 23 fantasy points per game. He started out on fire before an ankle injury really ruined what he did. And I didn't expect to see Reggie Bullock play 30 minutes while Burke played 26. I would have reversed those numbers because Burks can shoot. He can create as well, where Bullock is just a shooter. In fact, Burks actually shot threes better than Bullock this year. Again, I would have had those minutes reversed. 30 minutes for Burks, 25 for Bullock. Um, but I'm not the coach. And if that had happened, if Burks played 30, he's a top 120 player, I think, pretty comfortably. 12-4-2 he averaged. Again, shooting 42% from three is a really strong number from Burks. But at this point, we just have to realize that we cannot trust him to stay healthy. Lower body injuries. The COVID was an issue. I thought he improved defensively a lot. The three-point shooting is strong. Hit his free throws at a high rate, which he always does. Assist numbers were okay. He kept, you know, he was good with the ball. His, his defensive numbers are bad, you know, as a lot of these players, even though they put up good on-court defensive numbers, which some of that is, is pace-related, although the advanced metrics do take pace into account. They don't generate defensive numbers apart from Noel and Robinson, really. Um, but Burks, yeah, just that ability to score and shoot with some passing, it, I don't think it got fully unlocked, but he is 30. He's an unrestricted free agent. He can help teams for sure, but will he ever find himself in a better situation to be a fantasy contributor? Probably not. I, I don't really see that happening for him. Let's talk Bullock, who played 65 games in 30 minutes tonight. Look, there's legitimately, when you look at the season coming in, I, I didn't even know that Bullock would play guaranteed minutes this season. Just didn't, didn't know if that would be a case. Definitely not 30 minutes. He's 30 years of age. He shot 41% of threes. That's why he was out there. Hit two and a half threes, 11 points, three rebounds, one assist. 19 fantasy points outside the top 200, 162nd in categories. He's a three-point specialist. He hit the same amount of threes per game than he had rebounds per game. Like, this is what he does. He goes out there, and he spaces the floor, and he hits threes. I would rather somebody out there who can create something next to Barrett and Randall, which is what Burks could do, whereas you know, a guy like Bullock can't do it, and a guy like Peyton can't do it, Robinson, Noel, they can't do it. Um, but you know, he was out there for one job. He did that job pretty well, uh, and then provides very little else. His EPM was pretty good, 1.1. Yeah, that's that's pretty good number. Um you know, LeBron didn't like him as much just because of some of his um, yeah, issues in terms of doing anything else apart from shooting. Same with Raptor. He was a little bit down there, but played a lot more minutes. He's never going to be a consistent fancy threat. He's already 30, if you can believe that, which yeah, I can't really. He's an unrestricted free agent. He will get offers to be a solid rotation piece, but fantasy value just won't be there. Taj Gibson off the scrap heap. Didn't sign until a little bit into the season. He's 36 years of age, 45 games. He played 21 minutes, five and five. A block a game, 63%. And when Robinson went down, he was the backup center. There were times when he'd frustratingly play more than Nerland's Noel. In the end, that wasn't the overall case, but 21 minutes a night. Um, yeah, he could be in a streamer for field goals, a streamer for blocks. He's still a useful enough player. But again, when if your team is relying upon Taj Gibson and Derek Rose to be your key pieces of what you're doing, then you know where how you push to the future from there does become a little bit of a concern. His advanced numbers were great. He led this team in Raptor by a long way, plus 4.6. He was third on LeBron. He was in the top few on EPM. 
great true shooting, good finishing, very good rebounder, good shot blocker. Yeah, really good defensive stuff from Taj Gibson this year. But, you know, do we want to rely upon a 36-year-old third-string center to carry us? Not saying he carried them, but yeah, he uh, had an outsized impact for what it probably should have been. Let's talk about another guy. Again, this is the Knicks factor. The Knicks factor in, you know, Thibodeau getting coach of the year. Not saying he didn't deserve it, but there's a Knicks factor there. Randall getting most improved player. Probably should have got it, but there's a Knicks factor. Randall getting All-NBA second team. There's a Knicks factor. The hype around Emmanuel quickly. There's a Knicks factor. Quickly was much better than I anticipated. 28th pick in the draft. Played really well for that pick. 64 games played, 19 minutes a game. He was the, what, 262nd ranked fantasy player. 243rd in points leagues, averaging 18 points. He averaged 11 points in 19 minutes. He hit 1.8 threes. But like so many Knicks players, no rebounds, low assists, invisible steals, no blocks. 39.5% shooting, 89 from the line. 39% from three is great, but cannot hit twos at all. He just could not finish. And while some of the scoring bursts that he goes on are nice, we have to remember the way that media reports, the way that we remember things, the way that viral YouTube videos or whatever play it out. Emmanuel Quickly, rookie sensation, 20 points off the bench. And you go, ah, that's amazing. Emmanuel Quickly scored 20 off the bench. And then no one reports on the fact that he then combines for seven points in the next two games. And the fact that defensively he got cooked or that he's a point guard who can't pass or that he cannot finish at the rim at all. Again, this is not me being a hater. It's showing the uh, the things that you need to be aware of when looking at a guy like Quickly. Because you'll have those big games and then you don't hear about it when he has a bunch of stinkers. And then when you go back to look at his overall numbers, you go, ah, he couldn't crack the top 250? Is he actually that good? And the answer to that is he was uh, pretty good. Like LeBron loved him. Second on this team in LeBron as a metric. Fifth in Raptor, 0.5. That's a good number. His EPM was 1.4. Like these are really, really good numbers. And I think it does bode really well. And to me, yeah, I would, I would want to see if they can start him. The problem is, again, he's not a passer. He's not a good defender. He's not a bad defender. He's not a good defender. That doesn't matter too much. But he's, he is a scorer. And he's a guy that can self-create. He's a guy that can hit floaters. And he hits the three ball well. The problem I had with quickly coming into the draft is, is he is an undersized shooting guard. He's labeled as a point guard because of his size, but he's not a point guard. He's a shooting guard who is point guard sized. And, and that can lead to problems in the NBA. With the lack of point guard talent on this team, he probably should start there. But ideally to me, his role is a 24 minute a night bench player who comes in and scores 15 points, two and a half, three threes but then has three boards, three assists, 0.7 steals, and shoots 43%. Can he ever get to prime Jamal Crawford? Probably not. Can he be what Jordan Clarkson was this season? Maybe. Maybe that's best case scenario. I just think some of the hype for quickly is a little bit unfounded. But then I say all this, and I look at his numbers, and I, and I look at the advanced numbers. I go, shit, they, they love him. The advanced numbers love what he did. How real is that? So that gives me, I, I doubt myself a little bit with it, when I say like maybe he can't become a star, I don't think he can, but you can't rule it out because some of those numbers are very impressive and they're very hard to do as a rookie. And it was impressive by him to get to that level. So I'm not ruling him out. I think he's going to see a much, much bigger role next season. And he should. He should have seen a much bigger role this year. But putting it all together is going to be the challenge. Alfred Payton. I, I liked him as a late pick. 
He's going to start for Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau generally loves playing his starters big minutes, but unfortunately, Peyton, the, the absolute horrendousness of what he did just added up, and the minutes just keep de- kept declining. Now, he kept starting for God knows what reason, but he was a negative 1.6 EPM. Now, that's a big fall from where he was last year. Now, the true shooting is absolutely shitful. It's been 50% or lower the last three years. He was one of the worst players on this team in Raptor. The only two players worse than him combined for 50 minutes, and that were Harper and Pinson. So absolutely worst player on this team in terms of um, his Raptor. Absolute worst player on this team in terms of LeBron. He was dreadful all season, and he should not get a chance to be a starter in the NBA again. 27 years of age, he averaged 10, 3, and 3. He didn't try for the second half of this season. His shooting was horrendous, 43%, 29 from 3. Doesn't hit free throws. His steal numbers, which is one of the things that really used to carry him, have disappeared. His assist numbers, which is the other thing that used to carry him, have completely disappeared. He went from a 97th percent percentile assist guy to 81st. He went from 96th percentile steals to 59th. And a lot of that's effort. There's no reason if he went to another team that he couldn't work his way into a backup guard role and feel motivated and those numbers start to come back. But the shooting, I don't think, is ever going to be a positive for Peyton. He was really bad, and we shouldn't have faith in him. I hated Obi Toppin at pick number eight. Hated it. Thought it was a disgusting pick. He played 62 games, 11 minutes a night. I hated the fact that he was getting drafted at 115. There was no logical sense. On ESPN, he was pre-ranked in the 70s. The logic went out the window there. Tom Thibodeau is the coach. Julius Randle starts ahead of him. Now, I know every single Knicks fan wanted to get rid of Julius Randle before this season. Now, he's their MVP, apparently. Uh, or he, They think he legitimately should have been top five in MVP, is what I meant to say there, which is, of course, insanity in both directions. But they thought, oh, Randall's def- definitely... Get- this is the arguments I had when I said it's a shit pick for Toppin and uh, it's a shit ADP and it's a shit pre-rank. Randall's getting traded, my guy. Bruh, he's getting traded. Toppin will start. Yeah, okay. Um, the problems with Obi Toppin that I had before the draft and then you know, were compounded by the position he was put into, yeah, they were obviously there. He was behind Julius Randall and he was never going to get minutes. Defensively, he has struggles. He can't really put up defensive numbers. He not really convinced in the three-point shot. He shot 31% from three. Not sure at the age of 23. Look, he's older than quickly, obviously. He's older than RJ Barrett by two full years. He's the same age as Mitchell Robinson. He averaged four and two with 0.3 steals and 0.2 blocks. Yeah, true shooting of 57 for a rookie is pretty good. But nothing that Obi Toppin did this year made me go, oh yeah, there's a future all-star here. There's a future top 50 fantasy player. Uh, nothing. I... Uh, to say that I'm lower on him than when I went into the draft is probably a lie because I didn't expect anything from him. I think I had him 14th or 15th in my mock draft, and in hindsight, that's too high. So maybe I'm a little bit lower. But I'm not completely out on him. I think he's better than... Uh, is he better than Kevin Knox? Yeah, probably is, even though he's a you know, year and a half older than him still. He probably is better than him, but... Uh, he, he wasn't good, and the opportunity for him to put up big minutes and big numbers next year is non-existent. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, if you can cash in anything in a dynasty league, like by the time he even has a chance to be any, any sort of impact player top, and you, he's going to be 25 or 26, I would guess. And I don't even think he's got the ability to be that player. I know I feel like I'm being harsh on the kid, but I, I'm, this is how I viewed him. This is how I continue to view him. I didn't like the pick. Uh, I continue to not like the pick. I didn't didn't make any sense to me, and um, yeah, I, I just don't see what he's bringing. Honestly, I'm just out. 
Kevin Knox is still remarkably only 21 years of age. He played 11 minutes in 42 games. He's honestly dreadful. And he is the prime indicator that when you see a big summer league game, just just be careful with it. Don't read into it. He had those couple of big summer league games and people were hyping this bloke up. He He's terrible. 11 minutes, four points, 39% from the field. No steals, no blocks, no assists, no rebounds. So when you see these players who continually have these horrendous stat profiles and they have these hot shooting performances that are unrealistic to continue, you have to have skepticism. I had skepticism from Knox from the start. Um, I was critical of the way that they handled him. There's no doubt about that. The way that they said he's definitely a starter for us. He's definitely a starter for us. Psych. You're benched one day before the season begins and then can't find minutes even, yeah, even in that second season. Couldn't even get him playing time. Development was completely killed. And he took he took steps forward this season. There, I am not going to deny that. He took steps forward. He took some defensive improvements marginally. But he, he took some steps forward. His shooting improved. He still is a bad playmaker. He still is a bad defensive stat playmaker. Um, and I, I don't really think the hope is there for him to become a starting caliber player. In fact, he's probably not even a rotation player caliber at this, this stage. Um, yeah. And then we get to the end of the Knicks rotation with guys that just don't play. Frank Nilakina thought they probably should have played him a little bit more, but 33 games, 10 minutes a night, he's never going to be a good fantasy player. His best category for fantasy was shooting 37% from the field. That's how that was his best category. Restricted free agent. I doubt they bring him back. Even though there's a massive hole at point guard, they just didn't feel comfortable playing him there. I still think Frank can be a rotation level player, but never a fantasy contributor. I think that's where we're at with Nilakina at this point. Um, again, I've hated the way that he's been used at times. Never really given that opportunity to develop in the right role. But he hasn't also blown us away. Although, again, defensively, pretty solid. Just offensive is offensive stuff's a nightmare at this stage. Norval Pal, he blocked shots. That's cool. No future in the NBA for me. Theo Pinson played two minutes a game in 17 games. He averaged 0.5 fantasy points. It seems impossible in 17 games, but he did. And then Jared Harper averaged 0.61 fantasy points in two minutes. And this is just goes to show you some of the insanity with Thibodeau's rotations. The fact that these guys who still play 10 minutes a game average two minutes a game. Like, dude, there were plenty of blowouts to give those guys a bit more playing time. It's insanity. Not saying these guys are good. Or they should be playing more minutes. But preserve some of your better players. Um, yeah, Harper and Pinson aren't really future NBA caliber guys, I don't think. Guys, that'll do it for me today, though. I'll be back tomorrow with another NBA show previewing or reviewing the season of the Mavericks. We've got some stuff to talk about with them after Donnie Nelson stepped down today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the old YouTube and the Odyssey app on YouTube, though. Hit a thumbs up, drop a comment, leave a like, share it with your friends, all that sort of shit, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.